Uh, in the coming weeks, the elders will be interviewing uh, a man called John Wolthouse. At the moment, he's a missionary in Ecuador and he's a, a Presbyterian candidate for the ministry. Uh, we're hoping to employ him next year as an assistant while he finishes off his studies at Christ College. So this is a passage that's relevant to us as uh, elders as we seek to make wise decisions about the sorts of men to appoint, uh, we appoint to lead our church. Uh, it's a passage that's relevant for, for men like John as uh, he seeks to be a good leader. But it's also a passage that's relevant for everyone in church because leaders influence those who follow them. God's uh, planned instrument to lead his church are godly effective elders who guide and encourage and protect and teach and comfort. And so we all need to pay close attention to these instructions. So Paul's got this triple focus as he writes his letter to Timothy. It's a private letter but at the same time it's a letter for the whole church. There's Timothy who's organising things for the church or churches in Ephesus. Then you've got the elders, the ones that he's appointing and supervising to lead. And then thirdly you've got the reason that it's all happening, a healthy, mature church. It's a bit like a mango tree. It's got three parts. It's got the solid trunk with deep roots. That's Timothy who supports everything. Then you've got strong branches that come off the trunk. They're the elders that Timothy's appointed. They're the ones who give it shape and and provide sustenance. But it's not much of a fruit tree unless those branches are holding delicious, sweet-smelling mangoes. They're the church members who both Timothy and the elders are seeking to grow and produce. So let's have a look at this passage with that same triple focus. We'll spend most of the time on on looking at elders at the start and then a little time on Timothy and uh, the people themselves. So firstly the elders, verse 17. Uh, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. There's a number of things we can learn here. Firstly, that elders are to lead. Elders are to lead. Uh, That's the word translated as direct the affairs. Elders are to set the direction, the priorities. Elders are to plan, to oversee, to protect and guide. But it's not just the tasks that they do. Uh, Leading is who they are. Elders are to lead by example. People won't follow if they don't respect the person they're following, if the person's not worth following. Elders should be as much as do. Elders should be the first to arrive and the last to leave. Elders should be the first to do the dirty jobs no one else wants to do and they'll do it even if nobody else notices. Elders should be, the first, should be up early praying and up late reading and studying to better lead God's people. They love Jesus, they love his people, they're eager to serve and all that they do, they do in prayerful dependence on Jesus. They lead by who they are as well as by what they do. What's a leader? A leader is someone who other people follow. At its simplest, 
a leader is someone who knows where he's going and who is worth following and who other people follow. Does that describe our elders? Well, the second thing we learn from this verse is that there seems to be two categories of elders in the Ephesian churches. Uh, There are those who direct the affairs of the church and then there are those who, in addition, work or strive at teaching and preaching. 1 Timothy 3 tells us that all elders are to be able to teach, uh, but there does seem to be a subset here who work hard at it and who do it well. Uh, That's one of the distinctives of the Presbyterian denomination is that uh, our churches are led by groups of elders. Uh, Most of our our elders are are technically called ruling elders, uh, but then there's also the minister who's also an elder and uh, sometimes he's called the teaching elder. Uh, And his area of expertise is preaching and teaching. He's been trained, he's got experience, he's been recognised for it. And so the Presbyterian Church gets its structure from this verse, uh, as well as others. Uh, And the way we interpret this verse is that each church is led by groups of elders. Uh, Individual elder, uh, elders on their own, don't have authority. It's the group of elders who has authority. And I actually think that's a wonderful situation. I've got authority over very little in the church. Uh, Pretty much focuses on this, really. I've got the authority as to who gets to preach. But uh, everything else is either uh, the other elders or the committee of management. I think that's a wonderful decision. Uh, A wonderful position because when we have a tough decision to make, uh, it's not just about me and what I think, but I can say there's a whole group of us We've talked about it, we've thought about it, we've prayed about it and here's what we've decided. I think it's great, as well as biblical. Uh, Well, the third thing we can learn from this verse is that there are certain elders, those who are are doing, uh, who who are leading well and uh, especially at preaching and teaching, uh, certain elders who are worthy of double or perhaps translated special honour. They're worthy of double or special honour which I think means they're to be respected, they're to be followed uh, because they're leaders, but it also means financial support. It's, uh, verse 18 makes that pretty clear. It says a worker deserves his wages. Uh, and so Presbyterian churches uh, support their minister with a stipend. Technically it's not a wage. Uh, a stipend is, some, is an allowance that you give so that the minister doesn't have to earn a wage. Uh, Instead, he can concentrate on teaching and preaching. Uh, Now, what that's saying is that there's all sorts of good things that ministers can spend their time doing. Administration, building maintenance, and there's a bit of that at the moment. Uh, Attending meetings, finance, providing meals for homeless people, doing social work, running training programs, updating websites, designing publicity, and plenty of other things as well. But this is saying that the most important thing that ministers, teaching elders can spend their time doing is preaching and teaching God's word. Now that happens here, it happens uh, up the front here on a Sunday, but it happens in all sorts of other places as well. Preaching and teaching God's word happens in home groups and youth groups and prayer meetings and school scripture lessons and hospital wards and lounge rooms It happens on street corners with neighbours and friends. 
It happens in one-to-one discipleship and counselling. It happens in halls and homes and coffee shops and car, car parks and camps and parks. God's word is what we need. Why is it that preaching and teaching God's word is so important? Well, as we've read through all of 1 Timothy, the reason is because false doctrine, wrong doctrine, is deadly. It's soul-destroying. Do you remember back in chapter 1? The false teachers are leading people away. Uh, 1 verse 6, people are wandering. 1 verse 19, some have even shipwrecked their faith because of these false teachers. But instead, it's sound doctrine Timothy needs to teach. Chapter 1 verse 11, sound doctrine conforms to the glorious gospel that leads to saving faith. Chapter 1 verse 4. Chapter 2 verse 2, it leads to people living peaceful, quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. That's the sort of life that pleases God. That's what comes from sound doctrine. That's why preaching and teaching is the most important thing we can be doing. The most important way elders can lead the church is to teach and preach well. God's word is what we need. God's word is the fertiliser to make our mango tree grow strong and fruitful. God's word is the tool for how leaders can lead well. God's word is how leaders can guide and protect and challenge and comfort and encourage and rebuke. God's word is useful for all those things. That's why we preach it and teach it. So can I just say thank you that you support me to do that. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Later this year, Committee of Management will present your budget that will include... uh, an expense to employ John Wolfhouse or someone like him as an assistant so that we can do that preaching and teaching better. Uh, so you can support me by approving that plan uh, and you can give generously to help achieve it. But can I thank you also that you support uh, me and our church more than just financially. Uh, your support means uh, that you pitch in and help do all of those other things that I mentioned before that still need doing, uh, all sorts of jobs that could be distracting, but by all of us pitching in and helping, uh, it means I can focus on what's most important. Uh, Well, let's move on. Uh, Effective leaders influence people. Uh, And unfortunately, that can also have a negative side as well as a positive side. Leaders who are bad can also be effective leaders. And so verse 19 and 20, Paul considers the situation where an accusation comes against an elder. And he says, don't consider it unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. Now that's just what Deuteronomy says should happen when anybody is accused of anything. Don't consider it unless two or three witnesses bring the accusation. So why does Paul mention that for elders? Well, I think his point is that an elder who is leading well has a wide circle of influence. Uh, He can influence people positively, but uh, people can also be jealous and can bring false accusations against an elder. 
And that's why it's especially important that when Timothy chooses elders, he does that. Uh, He chooses men who have a good reputation with outsiders. We saw that back in chapter 3, verse 7. Elders who have a good reputation with outsiders are less likely to get those false accusations. And it's also why when the accusation comes, Timothy is to deal with the accusations in a way that's fair and just because unjust accusations affect more than the leader. A leader who is influencing a church, uh, accusations against him will also influence the whole church. And so Timothy has to get it right. Uh, an elder who, ru- uh, who, who actually sins and who, for whom accusations are found to be true can actually ruin a church because he's influential. Uh, And some of you perhaps have seen examples of that, where a leader in a church uh, has fallen morally and destroyed not just his life, but the life of his family and his church. Unity, respect and trust are destroyed. Confidence in what he taught is undermined. People who followed him feel betrayed. Uh, Some people even come to question their own salvation if the man who led them to Jesus falls away. Uh, When the leader of a church falls, he affects far more than himself. Uh, And so the way to deal with an accusation that's proved is in verse 20. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. Uh, That phrase publicly uh, is literally before everyone. Rebuked before everyone, it it could mean before the whole church, uh, but some suggest it it could mean before the other elders. Uh, So if there's a sin that maybe doesn't affect everybody, but the elders themselves need to discipline uh, their fellow elder, and, and there might be some situations where the sin stays within that, um, group but there are other things which might be dealt with more publicly. We might want to add some other qualifications as well like uh, Matthew 18 talks about the elder being given the opportunity to repent before things go public. We might also wonder about the uh, rights to privacy for victims and that might temper how public uh, certain things become and legal proceedings and, and how you have to do things Uh, according to legal process. But with all of those sort of caveats uh, in place, the general principle is still that the sins of leaders are not to be kept secret. Uh, And maybe you've seen some of the damage that happens when secrets are kept. Uh, The reality is elders have a public ministry. People are led by elders. Uh, And so by making the rebuke public, uh, the message is clear Uh, don't follow this guy's example. Uh, Yes, you listened to him before, but in this instance, don't follow his example. Uh, We show good leadership to the rest of the church if we make rebukes public. Things that have been done in darkness need to be brought into the light. Whispers and innuendo and gossip uh, and accusations of hiding things or protecting uh, leaders protecting their own Those sorts of things can do as much damage as the actual sin itself. Uh, We need to make things public as best we can. 
The reality is leaders influence the people who follow them and that can be good but it can also be bad. So what, uh, uh, what's all that mean for those of you who are elders and there's a, a few of you out there this morning? Well, it's fairly simple. Lead well. Lead well. Uh, lead by your actions. Lead by your character and your life. Watch over those you lead. Uh, do it for the health of the church. Do it for the honour of Jesus. Uh, lead well. Secondly, work hard. Strive at preaching and teaching. Whatever it is you do, whether it's just your family or a small group Bible study, uh, whether it's people at work, work hard to know your Bible well so you can teach it well because people are following. Well, that's the elders. Let's have a look at Timothy. Uh, from what we can work out, he's got some sort of supervisory role over the elders. Uh, one school of thought is that there were multiple small churches in the city of Ephesus and each one was led by an elder and uh, Timothy was something like a bishop, I don't really want to use that word, but he, he sort of was supervising these smaller house churches. He's certainly responsible for choosing and appointing elders and also for judging them. Uh, and in all of those responsibilities he is to do it fairly. Verse 19 is to protect the, the uh, innocent elder from false accusations. Uh, verse 21, Paul says, uh, do all these things without partiality or favouritism. And when it comes to accusations, you can be tempted to play favourites with the elder because he's a respected leader or because he's a mate. It's also tempting to show favouritism to the accuser because they seem upset and they're making a lot of noise. It can also be tempting to show favouritism to the church because they're the largest group and perhaps uh, can be damaged the most. But in all of those things, Paul says to Timothy, don't show partiality, don't show favouritism. Reflect the character of God himself who's just and fair. I think uh, our child protection policy, for example, does a, a pretty good job at, at keeping in balance, uh, protecting and allowing the accuser uh, the safety to record their version of events, but at the same time preserving the rights of the accused person. Uh, so we should not show partiality. Another principle is in verse 22, don't be hasty. Uh, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, do not share in the sins of others, keep yourself pure. Uh, Paul's thinking about the process of appointing elders when you lay hands on them as part of their ordination as an elder. Uh, and he says the way to avoid some of these problems, these accusations, true or false, uh, is to be careful about who you appoint. Take your time, don't rush. Don't appoint a new Christian, 1 Timothy 3.6 says. Uh, don't appoint someone who you don't know very well who just appears at your church. Uh, even if they seem like a natural, even if they've got great gifts or even if the church is desperate and there's no one else, don't be hasty. Making a foolish or a rushed decision makes you at least partly responsible for any mistakes down the track. That's what Paul's getting at when he says Timothy isn't to share in the sins of others. 
is to keep himself pure. If Timothy makes a poor choice and that elder goes on to sin badly, uh, Timothy shares some of the blame. There's a sense in which he shares in the sin which has resulted from his choice. And so Paul says, don't be hasty and you won't share in any mistakes that happen. Careful, prayerful decisions will keep Timothy pure from that sort of blame. Then we come to verse 23, which is an interesting one, isn't it? Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Now that puzzles all the commentators. I must have looked at five or six commentaries and they all said, basically we don't really know why this verse is here. Uh, Does it fit in? Uh, Is it just some disconnected piece of advice? Most commentaries sort of go for that. Oh, here's just something else. Uh, But here's what I think. Paul's just told Timothy to keep himself pure. Uh, But then, in case Timothy misunderstands what it means to be pure, Paul explains, purity is not about whether you eat or don't drink, eat or don't eat, drink or not drink, uh, don't drink certain things. Remember that's what the false teachers had been teaching. Back in chapter 4, Paul says about them, Such teachings, chapter 4 verse 2, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good. Nothing's to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. That's the truth. But these false teachers have been saying, you will be pure if you don't eat this or if you don't drink that or if you abstain from marriage. That's what purity is. But Paul says that's rubbish. Everything God has created is good. Maybe Timothy himself had been influenced by these teachers. Maybe he was drinking water because he thought it would make him more pure. Or maybe he just thought other people would judge him if he did this or didn't do it. And yet Paul is saying that purity is not about what you put into your mouth. As Jesus said, purity is about what comes out of your mouth. It comes from the overflow of the heart. That's what purity is. The truth is that God's world is full of good things. Good things to be enjoyed, good things to be used for your health. Uh, Good things that everything is good if it's used God's way in thankfulness to God. Wine, coffee, the beach, music, art, sex, medicine, food, parties, all those things done God's way are wonderful. That's what purity is. Living life joyfully, thankfully, faithfully to God, enjoying his world. Keep yourself pure. Take a little wine. Don't forget the little. Some people love that verse, but forget the little. Take a little wine for your health. Well, let's move on. Uh, Part of the reason I think verse 23 is is not just random advice is that Paul comes back to this topic of judging good and bad men in verse 24 and 25. He's just said, don't be hasty. Uh, And then in verse 25, he describes how it takes time for someone's true colours to be seen. 
So verse 24. The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgement ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious and even those that are not cannot be hidden. I think what he's saying is sometimes it takes time before someone's true colours are seen. On the bad side, sometimes someone seems good but it takes a while for their badness to be seen but the opposite is true. Sometimes good men you don't notice for a while. God's the only one who sees hearts and judges perfectly. That's the reality. We have to make a choice about people. Sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we select someone who turns out to be bad because their true character's taken time. But at the time they seemed suitable. The, the flip side's also true, isn't it? Sometimes good men are overlooked because their good deeds and their character are not obvious. That's just the, the way things are. And so Paul says the best you can do in that situation is not to be hasty when it comes to choosing elders. Be prayerful. Don't show partiality. Trust that God will guide. And over time, their people's true nature is revealed. And that's a good word for us. As a session, as elders, we're considering new elders. But to be honest, it's taken us a few years. (laughs) We've been thinking about it for a while, but we want to get it right. Uh, because it's important, it's too important to rush. Well, that's Timothy. Finally, let's have a look at the third focus of this chapter, which is where most of us are, church members. Uh, What's this passage saying to you? Well, firstly, it's saying be generous. Be generous with your money. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your energy. And, of course, it's not just about here at Ashfield. God is a big God, the world is a big world uh, and his kingdom is growing everywhere. Be generous uh, in other places, in Australia and around the world. Uh, God's kingdom is being built not just by leaders but by all of us as we work together to build his church. Be generous. Well, second instruction for all of us from this passage, have a glass of wine. Well, actually, let me qualify that. Uh, That's not a command and and, uh, there are actually lots of good reasons why Christians choose not to drink alcohol. So, uh, you know, uh, Paul says that here but he's not making it a command for us. Uh, But let's think beneath the principle of what he's saying. The principle behind it uh, is that God has given us all sorts of good things in the world to enjoy and also to benefit us, uh, whether that be... Uh, the pleasures of nature and friendship and food and drink or whether it be medicine and uh, professionals who can help uh, help you in life. Uh, but what Timothy is saying is that there's all sorts of good things. God wants us to make the most of those, to give thanks to him, uh, to live using them, live his way. We're not to add any extra laws that God hasn't given because we think by keeping them we'll be more pure. The reality is Jesus has made us pure. We're to live as his pure sons and daughters uh, enjoying God's world. That's the command for us. That's a nice command, isn't it? (laughs) 
And finally, a word for whoever we are, elders, leaders or, or not, there's a strong encouragement right there in the middle of the passage to work at all of these things carefully and conscientiously because God is watching. Do you see it there in verse 21? I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions. Elders, lead well, work hard, judge carefully. All of you, be generous, gratefully enjoy God's creation because God is watching. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, you would help us to to be generous, uh, help us to be at work with gratefulness and joy, uh, trusting you as we live in your good world for your honour and glory. Amen.